Space makers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing, friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at thejshop.thej. J, just the letter, J. You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code MAKINGSPACEPOD for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings and they're such a statement piece and people will be definitely making space for you in these. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively for yourself, figuratively, figuratively for yourself and others. I'm Sarah Heath, one of the co-hosts, and my lovely other co-host is... Uh, literally and figuratively, Josie. That's me. <laughs> yeah. My brother hates when I use the word literally all the time. Uh, he started saying that if I... One time he said to me, if you use the word literally again, I will literally punch you in the throat. It's like the new, like, 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 like the California. Literally. Like. Yeah. I don't want to sound like a, like a trope or like a typical Valley girl. I'm not even from the Valley, but I have that like, see, I had that like, man, I know. Oh, well, fuck it. You're from Cali. Ew, <laughs> There's nothing. Cali. Exactly. There's nothing to make yourself feel worse about yourself than like hearing yourself recorded. So like sermons, podcasts. I had to hit, listen to my own voice and the things I say. And I just think, why are you saying that? You picked the wrong you... career, dude. <laughs> I know, except, you know, I love it. So whatever. Um, yeah. So this is our last podcast of 2020. So I just Bless. thought I would do a little bit of a review because you know what? I started this podcast the week we went in to quarantine and then 20 episodes in I asked you to join and mm -hmm. it has been such a gift to have a, a co-host um we've had some highlights we've gotten to talk to people like Mike McCarg we've gotten to talk to people like Jesse um my friend Jesse McLaughlin was one of my first people on here and Jesse just turned 40 yesterday she's amazing but she's launched an entire line of design stuff and is like now super famous on Instagram I mean everything has happened so quickly we got to talk to like my friends in Canada who developed a system for all this. It has been, is there like a highlight for you in this season? And I know you got to be careful because a lot of these people are personal friends of ours. Ooh, yeah. Highlight. Um, I've loved them all, but our conversation with Chris Rodriguez is probably, I know, insanely inspiring. I don't know. I don't know what it was about it. It was just like talking about trauma and body and where it manifests it's my favorite type of conversation i love it's trauma interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because the next morning both you and i talked about it was so in like inspiring and life-giving and kind of was like oh this is why we do what we do right mm -hmm. um and we made a t-shirt out of that uh which was really cool to be able to do that. I, I think if I think about show highlight, my show highlight 
Gosh, I don't, why did I ask you a question I wasn't prepared to answer? I don't know, man. Don't we always do that as humans? Don't we always ask questions we're not prepared to answer? That's fair. Or a question we wish other people would ask us. I think, gosh, there's so many highlights, but Chris's conversation, yeah, it sticks out to me. And we've talked to some like incredible and inspiring humans, um, but there was something about the, what he brought, his energy, his skill set, his just presence. It was so good. So, um, and it gave us our first t-shirt, which is this idea. That's probably the real reason why we love it. You belong here because you are here, (laughs) which is my highlight. So my entire life, I've wanted to have a fashion line or a design line, or, I mean, from the time I was tiny, I would draw, you know, um, house closet organization. I would draw that, or I would draw like clothing things. And so for me getting to have an opportunity to share design thoughts and that kind of stuff has been really exciting. I'm really excited about having a Patreon because I love the idea of a merch box. Yes, I love you guys supporting us. That's really, really awesome. But curating a merch box for me, like, it's my dream. Yeah, and those go out in January. So y'all should sign up before then. So you can Ooh. make sure to get your merch box. I love it. Um, anything else as you think about going in to 2021? Any thoughts? What are you, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I'm most looking forward to getting this vaccine because I'm all about vaccines uh, coming from <laughs> the first generation of people with adequate access to medical care in my family. Give me the drugs. I'm all about it. Um, I'm not excited for all the people that don't want the vaccine, but you know, whatever. I'm not talking about them. And I guess I'm excited for... If I can have this giant wedding that I'm supposed to have this year in October, I'm excited to get that over with next October. So, (laughs) you know, I think back to, it was really the start of quarantine that we had your wedding in the parking lot. Yeah. Of our cute church. Thank goodness it was cute. Cause otherwise, where was I going to have this wedding? (laughs) I know the photos are so beautiful. Um, it was incredible. I think about, I'm most looking forward to, I hope this is like my hope, um, as I venture into, you know, a year of uncertainties, um, from a year of uncertainties, I most hope that the, the gifts and the things that I realized that I, about myself during this time, you know, the fact that I'm introvert and I actually, I have massive FOMO, but also I don't need to be around people all the time, um, that I'll take that ability to tell myself to rest, um, in a way that is really hopeful for me. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to, yeah, just having a sense of like, what are the things I learned? I'm learning that I'm a three on the Enneagram. All the things that I learned during this year were huge. This year wasn't filled with like goodness necessarily, uh, but it was filled with learning um, about myself. And I think that only helps me exist in the world. So looking forward to utilizing that stuff in the next year. Right. Yeah. I think we've both, uh, we're fortunate enough to find each other this year. Um mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I love us. I know. I mean, our professional lives, our personal podcast lives, our teaching Sarah it. how to kill her com- or fix her computer after she kills the computer. <laughs> lives. Which is like regularly, like this is where I've become like your weird middle-aged mom that you have to be like, Sarah, did you hit this button? And I'm like, no. And then I do it and then it works. It's fine. 
truly it's ryan that does that so it's fine it's not i know i even i love i've loved our little quarantined dinners outside i want to keep like little things like that like the nights where you were watching movies and it just has felt so intentional and i think i haven't lived a life that was really intentional i've lived a life that was very scattered because i've been trying to get as much in as i could and 2020 was the year of slowing down for so many people um year of tragedy for sure speaking of which there's a helicopter over my house um but i think i don't want to miss some of the lessons and i hate that hundreds of thousands of people died and I get to take a lesson from it, which seems really, uh, I don't want to downplay how tragic this year was, but also take something into it. So 2021, just so you know, Making Spaces podcast, bigger, badder, bolder. We're excited. We've got some really cool people lined up. Um, and after we stop recording, Josie, I've got a couple other people to tell you that want to be on the podcast that are amazing. Ooh, surprises for me too. Yeah, it's going to be great. Speaking of amazing people, shall we talk about Dr. Trip Fuller, a friend of mine for years. I've been on his podcast several times. He has a podcast called Homebrew Christianity, which is literally the OG of podcasting, right? It has Mm -hmm. been around forever. Uh, And the story, the like, origin story that he shared with us. I haven't heard that. So that was really incredible because I think it shows how really what Trip wants to do is sort of bring theology to the people. Like his joke is that he's a nerd, but not just like a Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica kind of nerd. He's a theology nerd, but he wants to make that approachable for the common person. And I think does an incredible way, like does that through an incredible way. Um, This conversation was another one that I was so inspired by mm-hmm. yeah i um love talking to people who are smarter than me you know well you know I that's like a learning. daily experience for me <laughs> <laughs> i mean pretty smart sarah miss duke over here i know he went to um another school uh for his degrees he went to wake forest which is one of our um i guess rivals but uh i'm just honored that trip would he listens to our podcast which was fun to hear and very Um, intimidating (laughs) yeah I remember the first time I realized that my friends Jared uh Bias and uh Pete Enns listened to my former podcast that was like about my dating life in some ways that wasn't the whole topic but (laughs) these are like two theologians and bible scholars and I'm like oh god no don't do that but they're like we're just so you know it's it's intimidating but it's also really kind and i am grateful for the friendships and people um co-laboring with us in this but um this conversation has a lot uh, to do about making space for people to experience god in the way that they're going to experience god Mm -hmm. and taking really big ideas and making them approachable and then i love this idea of home brewed Christianity isn't Bud Light. Uh, It was so, I I almost want to give the whole uh, example, but I think it's better for you just to sit back and listen and enjoy. Any last thoughts before we jump right into the convo? Don't drink theological piss water. I was at Wake Forest University Divinity School 
Um, which is which fine. Is, which is different than Duke. I'm not going to make a value assessment currently. Um, but <laughs> We fight over this all the time. <laughs> I think they're both lame, so whatever. <gasps> yeah. See, she's, she's so not 25. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, and we had a, a theology beard group at Divinity School. And, um, and we would have guests come and I recorded one to use for a discussion group at church, my theology book club at the church I was working at. And, uh, that I would put the interviews on rewritable CDs, uh, and then they would give them back. And so I'd interviewed a few people that, uh, because if, if you've ever ran a book club, um, for those of us that read the books, it's really cumbersome to have to spend the first half explaining to everyone what was in the book that everyone bought and didn't read. And so I decided, well, I figured out how to record Skype calls because I'd hook it into my recorder for music and stuff. So I'm like, oh, okay. So if I call people, I can record the calls and then I'll put them on these rewritable CDs and then everyone in the group can borrow them and then at the end of the month they'll at least have listened to the interview so i don't have to explain the book and we can just discuss so you'd be um, interviewing people who had written the book yeah and then my friend chad was like trip you're at a podcast i'm like no, i don't know what that is he starts explaining it to me because he told me kevin smith had just started one from very big kevin smith and and he was one of the first podcasters so then i listened i'm like that's cool so you just talk and it's on the internet and so he <laughs> helped me set it up and so we started the podcast and by the time i had released all the episodes that i had recorded on discs uh, uh, there were like you know seven or eight hundred people listening because it was the only christian podcast that that liked gay people and the planet you know <laughs> Hi friends, welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. I am one of the co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is my other co-host. Josie Jimenez, the other one. The other one. And this is a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively for yourself and others. Today we have an esteemed friend of mine, Dr. Trip Fuller, who is a professor uh, in the UK currently and also is the host and creator of Homebrewed Christianity. Um, he's been in movies. He uh, has been making space for people in lots of different ways, and I cannot wait to talk to him. He also has lots of footage of me that probably would sink my career, um, recorded stuff, I would think. Well, the, the last time we recorded a podcast, the 90 minutes that went out was the clean version, you know? <laughs> the clean version. Oh. Yeah. Well, Tramp, the first question we always ask to get everyone uh, chatting is, what is one of your favorite spaces and why? Okay, so I'm like, as someone that, you know, has actually listened to your podcast, I knew this was the first question. So I had three answers. I'm ready. This is, okay, so number one, if like normal world, favorite place by myself in study with all my books out. So all my dead friends are there. Because I like to just look around and I could usually see the spine of the book and then remember the ideas. And so I would just sit in my office with post-its and then I would like connect dots and stuff and then would go right. Now I don't have that in uh, Scotland. I'm like, I feel like uh, I'm 
I'm like uh, running with the arm chopped off, but I wouldn't have thought of that until I didn't have that space. My favorite with friends is like on the porch with a cigar and you know that you're not going anywhere for an hour and a half. So you may as well tell long stories. I love it. But lockdown, Alicia redid our backyard. So Scotland half the year, you, uh, the sun's up till midnight, you know, in the summer. Um, and we moved here, lockdown goes into effect three months later. And then, uh, you basically live in half the size of house in the United States. You don't know anybody. And now you're homeschooling with three kids. And Alicia's like, we have to do the backyard. She, we, she got a inflatable hot tub, greatest purchase ever. Oh, uh, wow. A, a grill, a smoker, like a full picnic table with like, uh, um, cover um made a giant slip and slide like um <laughs> a kid swing a climber thing like we basically just bought everything on amazon that would deliver that you could piece together to liven up the outside and now i'm just like look for reasons to for scottish people to come over i'm like you you just want to sit outside i love then, it yeah uh but inflatable hot tub in lockdown best purchase ever i didn't even know those existed like inflatable i don't know yeah so you so the you know like a normal hot tub like they're like thousands of dollars these are like five hundred dollars and then if you literally aren't going anywhere and you know let's say you moved to europe and had wonderful european vacation planned with your family and thought this is a great opportunity to go to the university of edinburgh because your family could see europe and all of a sudden that canceled you're like who wants to go to france brussels and italy let's just get a hot tub and sit in the same place for nine months in a row mm. yeah so i was making that space i love it i love that <laughs> you guys thought through that your backyard here when you lived here was also pretty epic because you guys had that little like everything was outside and you i think it's a it's it tells a lot. We asked this question because it tells a lot about people. Like why, you know, some people, you, some of your spaces are very different, right? So like you love your space alone, but you are a dad of three. And so your space alone doesn't exist anymore. And how do you now make space for the humans that you are, you know, responsible for, but also that you choose daily? Um, how do you participate in their lives? How do you make space for yourself and others? Which I think is a huge question during lockdown yes lockdown <laughs> it, it did all sorts of things so, so what was it like for y'all oh my gosh it's still i mean we're still locking down uh is scott has scotland begun to open up not really but they did we choose uh schools over bars which mm. is not not hard for, it's like hard for scottish people they complain about it but like the kids go to school, um, our university classes, I've never had more than three of 30 in the class because if one person in a dorm tests positive, they lock the whole thing up for two weeks. So people are just sitting in their dorms going to online versions. <laughs> Do you have, so it's cool. <laughs> have you had classes online or have you had them in person? Well, no, I'll go and then, you know, you're in this room and then, <laughs> There's like two people there. My last class, there was no one. Like, there's no one there. Just emails of people are like, hey, uh, we're locked up. Or uh, 
you know, I tested clean, so I went ahead and went home. And I'm like, all right. Bye. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I guess that's good. All right. That's, <laughs> but, you know, they said I was better than the other professors during they the, the professors, other just complained about having to do multiple versions of the class. Um, so it was philosophy of religion for master's students. So I was just like, excited about the class you know so yeah you were stoked you would have taken the class well I think that's <laughs> it shows a lot about you as well as I think about that you are you've already done because you created homebrew Christianity which is one of the first podcasts that I knew of that it kind of hit for people like so you you were multiple mediums you were email you were podcast you were gatherings so it feels like to me you've always understood community and space to need to be on multi-level so I feel like you compared to some of the some of my relatives are northern English so somewhat similar to Scottish those folks who maybe are stuck in a little bit of the way that they do it to change when you've already like taught yourself how to do that um, I think you might have had an easier time transitioning would you say that's true well considering some of the some of the other professors had never done anything online i mean i, I was at least comfortable with the internet and like <laughs> so exactly how do you record a lecture with the computer you know and you're like oh yeah oh i'm glad you have the endowed chair <laughs> we, well, we experienced that too with pastors we had some pastors who were like they were online that day, you know, ready to go. We had podcasted before, but we had not uh, videoed things before. So it took us three days to get up and going. Um, but for some of my colleagues, it was like, I don't even what you want. What? Like, <laughs> I don't understand how to like, we send out an email once a month. Is that the same? Uh, no, like you're going to have to and some of it's endearing. Like I watched some of our, like ours is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And we, we do mm -hmm. the best we can. And in, in a weird way, we kind of like it to not be perfect. I am speaking for myself, but I, I don't want it to be like a polished TV show. Mm -hmm. But some of, some of the ones that I have seen, which are just so cute, like a Facebook live where it's like the pastor and he's, or she is like sitting in front of a camera, just like doing the best they can. And I love it. Well, even like in our congregation, some of our um, older participants, if you don't send out that link, they don't know what to do with themselves. They need to right. check their emails and have that link to click on because they don't know how to get to the Facebook page otherwise. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, You know, one of the small perks of lockdown in Scotland is there's no need to get up for church here online. Because all your friends are streaming their church services across the whole U.S. So you can sleep in, make a big breakfast. And then uh, once every once little kids are occupied, you're like, which one of my friends is preaching on Facebook right now? And I love it. You just you just go that way because we hadn't been here long enough to really know people. So um, I, I, I thought I was like, well, this is a perk. I can just like sneak in on your friends preaching. And then it doesn't get that weird thing where. I've discovered that like if I don't tell my friend I'm going to see them preach and then I'm there, they're like, oh no. I would lose my mind if you were like, in, if I judging. knew you were there. 
I find you were there just knowing how well read you are and how your memory is like, I would be like, I can't say any Greek words. Um, I can't say anything that's like just a, a side. Like I need to think through. That's actually been the transition I think for me is like, I can't make jokes about my family because they listen. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't, you know, whereas before, like, cause I don't have like uh, my own family, but my extended family now participates. And it's so funny because I'm like, I used to like That's make funny. jokes, like to be cute about like, oh, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I need to think about, am I actually saying this right? And like, now I'm like, oh, I think I might've exaggerated that story in the past. So I better do fact checking of the story of my family because now people are checking it out. And there is something to that of like realizing how big your community actually is. Didn't you get like a city in Canada wrong? on one of them and then your dad corrected you Ooh, burn yeah mm -hmm. it was sure like did. oh well this happened in toronto but it was really ottawa or oh, there See, you go this is what i'm talking about your memory just forget just forget yeah my dad was like it was the mayor of ottawa and i was like crap and we do have a, quite a few canadian listeners so i can't even like just pretend that it didn't happen like we have to have a corrections corner because i'm an idiot well, um, here's here's one I uh, used once when I guest preached, got high response because I was like, what can you say? Like, give a shout out to the person that is watching the sermon on the toilet. Like, <laughs> like That's such a like, good idea. Like, oh, thank you for joining. Hey, hey, I just want to take it like, for that one person who's right now <laughs> told told their partner and their kids that they don't feel good and shut the door of the bathroom and somehow said, I'm going to watch trip preach right now. Thank you. <laughs> I see you metaphorically. And then you go on and you keep it, going. And that person's and, like, can he see me? Yeah. <laughs> Divine like, intervention. It's the only time you'll ever get to give a shout out to someone taking a dump on <laughs> in your sermon. And people think it's funny as opposed to just really weird. Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic really is just comedic gold it just keeps it really, on coming it kind of is like it's made me realize how uh how much my improv skills are weird like like the things that I used to just say as asides are now recorded forever. And in the podcast world, I'm just kind of used to that and I think I'm like used to that medium and people me being a little more raw or whatever but in sermons, like Josie and I in the very beginning had these conversations because Josie works for the church. She actually does all our editing where I was like, I should just do it in one take. Cause otherwise I kept recording and like trying to get it perfect. And half the time was me going like, what is wrong with my face or what's happening with my hands or why am I, what am I doing with all these things? And, and it's not, it was never meant to be that kind of medium. Like when you're teaching or preaching, you're really just sort of like making space for that moment. And now that mm -hmm. moment is forever you know, solidified. So it's a different kind of thing. Yeah. I, I found that like, you know how, if you, if it, most Sundays when you plan and things go, how you plan in the morning, like you have your routine and you're like, oh, I'm entering preaching mode. And you're like, you're looking over your notes and stuff. And like, when you get to that moment in the service where you're going to preach, like you've orchestrated your day to be in the zone. Like you, you don't get to do that when you're when in lockdown because the rest of your the rest of your peeps they don't cooperate and no. 
and honestly like most of us are just like why why is this happening to me (laughs) the the but that mode of like a couple times when i've like guest preached and i'm like doing my normal like pre-preaching routine but i'm doing it at my house and everyone else in the family is like wow dad's being real weird i'm like this isn't weird i normally do it in my office and no one judges me and (laughs) um like and before I go out to see anyone, I always listen to the same five iron frenzy song and sing it really loud in my office. And I realize like I can't do that. Like everyone in my family will be like, What the hell is Trip doing? And why <laughs> is he singing 90 CCM ska music in his room really loud? But I've done it forever. And uh it's well, the weird it thing on of a liturgical like, season. I have a different song for each liturgical season. That's like um, my energy. I'm need more details. So go ahead and give us some details. What songs pump you up during Advent? Oh no! So Advent then is the the John Foreman the Lord's Prayer song, but um, but Lent through Easter is uh, Every New Day the Five Iron Frenzy song. Um, one of the best songs ever. Like it is a good song. It is, but in, but you know, they're like good songs to sing loudly, right? So you're getting all your energy up and they capture like, if you communicate one thing that you're communicating with your energy in that space versus like what you're saying, like these songs get it. Like, so if you think of Advent and the John Foreman song, it is just like putting the Lord's prayer, but then it's like, I'm really dumb and I freak out about stupid stuff, right? So all of a sudden this prayer that is always in our liturgies is put down into the mundane part of our life. And then at the end in the bridge part, it's like, no, it's like in that very place, hope and transcendence starts to rupture through. And then the five iron frenzy one, it goes like the whole, the man versus himself, man versus machine, man versus the world, mankind versus me, his struggles go on the weakness. I struggle, keep fighting up on my back. And then you get that whole screaming thing. So hard to breathe to take the next step. The mountain mm-hmm. is high yet. I wait in the depths, yearning for grace, hoping for peace, dear God of grace. And then like healing hands. And that whole thing is like, like after being completely honest about just like how fucked up everything is, it's just like, I'm going to lean into this hope because this is one place where the most true thing about you is the next day is a new day. And that new day has new possibilities for you. And so like, whatever is energy in that, like if I'm singing that song, I lean into like much more less conflicted trip at 16. Who's just like skanking and feeling really cool. And at that day trip, if you ask him like, like, can God bring newness out of everything? I would have said, obviously, now, probably, <laughs> Duh. you know, I'm like, I don't know. I, I now, doctor so. trip you is know, like, I a, don't know. He's like, yes, footnote. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, that song puts me in the in the uh, the energy of like Easter on the horizon, anyway. So, no, that's uh, incredible. I actually have lyrics to the John Foreman song tattooed on me. So, on my foot is tattooed the words, not a note is out of tune. And I tattooed that on my foot after going through uh, a really hard breakup when I was 30 and having a sense that like everything I thought was going to happen fell apart. This is a several year relationship and one that we were planning on marriage and all that sort of stuff. And so it felt like all like 16 year old Sarah would be like, that's not how God works. Right. Mm -hmm. And that song just like 
I look out the window and the birds are composing and not a note is out of tune or out of place. So why do I worry? Why do I freak out? <laughs> and I love that the song both allows space for him to be like, but I still do it, but this is also true. And so I tattooed on my foot a place that I would see it daily. Not a note is out of tune to remind me of that whatever was happening in my present as disconnected as it felt from the understanding I had of what I thought my life would be or who I thought God was, that not a note is out of tune. It's kind of this like, be completely present to what is. And instead mm -hmm. of fighting and trying to, you know, do my usual, I can make meaning out of all of this, but just to let it be. You know, the, the line where you cut off, like is the next line is, you know what I need, mm -hmm. which is like the, you know, one of those kind of Emmanuel God with us type of statements that, that the hope in it isn't that God has a solution. It's that God's present in you with it and knows what you need. But like, there are plenty of times the situation doesn't change once you know you've been known by your friend, right? Like where they're in you in that moment or in that space, they listen, they understand. They're like, that sucks. Well, nothing changed other than your friend said that sucked and they knew what you needed, but the, everything changed. It's so like, that's one of the, the things I love about that verse is it's the, like the birds, the, the out of tune and out of place. It's not that even that birds are never off. It's just, that that's how things are. And so like in the world as things are, not as we wish they were, right? Mm. God knows what we need. And so there's this deep, deep solidarity that's, uh, that's in it anyway. And as I've gone through like deconstruction and whatever, and um, what I'd love to get into a little bit with you is like you've created this space online for folks who that's their story as well. This deconstruction, I'm not, I don't want to throw everything out, but I can't just believe all that I've been told. Um, I, I think that sometimes I need to go back to that simple, right? Like maybe God does know what I need. Um, and some days I can believe that and some days I can't. And I think that's the reality and the honesty. So can you kind of give us a start or give us a little bit of a background? Cause Josie's like 25. So she's like a baby, like smart. You, I'm old. Yeah, well, twenty five. No, yes, yeah, totally. I'm very much. Yeah, immature. you're actually you're actually peaking. You know. Oh, don't say that. My cells We're, have started dying. Yeah, that's twenty five. Oh my gosh. Well, then ours are chilling. Do you know Mason? Uh, Mason does the the people theology for the or people's theology podcast. He's I think he's like twenty five or twenty six, and he he tweeted about oh well, you should have someone's on the podcast i was like they've been on twice he's like really and i i was like yeah back here here and he's like oh no i was in middle school then <laughs> i was like i don't know about that i i <laughs> guess i guess that's true um i mean i started how many years in, in, you started, started the podcast in March 2008 yeah Ooh, early podcaster. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like, I think you were my first friend I knew that had a podcast. I know. I used to have to explain it to people all the time. And the worst was like before it was popular. And yet um, people find out about it. And they're like, so thousands of people listen to you? <laughs> <And> they're, like, <laughs> you? They, they're like, what is this? 
you know. What made <laughs> like, you create it and how did you, if you don't mind going back to the start a little bit, like oh, the yeah, reason so, I mentioned Josie's age is like, it started like way before, like Josie, it wasn't like people were walking around like, oh, I've got really a funny friend. We should start a podcast. It was like what you had to, you had to like research to even figure out how to do it. So yeah, what, so what got you there? I was, I was at Wake Forest University Divinity School. Um, which is which fine. Is, which is different than Duke. I'm not going to make a value assessment currently, um, but <laughs> we fight over this all the time. <laughs> I think they're both lame. So whatever. <gasps> yeah. See, she's, she's so not 25. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, and we had a, a theology beard group at divinity school and, um, and we would have guests come and I recorded one to use for a discussion group at church my theology book club at the church i was working at and uh that i would put the interviews on rewritable cds uh and then they would give them back and so i'd interviewed a few people that uh, because if, if you've ever ran a book club um, for those of us that read the books it's really cumbersome to have to spend the first half explaining to everyone what was in the book that everyone bought and didn't read. And so I decided, well, I figured out how to record Skype calls because I'd hook it into my recorder for music and stuff. So I'm like, oh, okay. So if I call people, I can record the calls and then I'll put them on these rewritable CDs and then everyone in the group can borrow them. And then at the end of the month, they'll at least have listened to the interview so I don't have to explain the book and we can just discuss. So you'd be um, interviewing people who had written the book. Yeah. And then my friend Chad was like, Trip, have you heard a podcast? And I'm like, no, I don't know what that is. And he starts explaining it to me because he told me Kevin Smith had just started one. I'm a very big Kevin Smith fan. And he was one of the first podcasters. So then I listen, I'm like, that's cool. So you just talk and it's on the internet. And so he helped me. <laughs> set it up and so we started the podcast and by the time I had released all the episodes that I had recorded on discs <laughs> uh, uh, there were like you know seven or eight hundred people listening because it was the only Christian podcast that that like gay people and the planet you know <laughs> there weren't a lot of them at this point so you had like mega church people you had like like the like the South, Southern California New Age guru persons and then there was like trip and so if you typed in on the internet rather quickly because they're popular things to search it's like oh walter brueggemann or whatever You're like i had it mm -hmm. there was no there was no competition everyone said yes if they knew how to use the internet um i just kept doing it and, and you then, just kept asking people like big names like walter brueggemann i mean you're you're like when you just start like throwing out, oh, our book club was reading a book and I just asked the person who wrote it. I know, people, I was going to say. <laughs> people weren't used to being asked to do that. And so it was such like a, oh, I need to promote my book. If, the, if this yeah. guy's into it and he's got all these listeners, that's so much easier than putting it on, you know, at that time, you know, getting your book out meant having it, you had to have it in Barnes and Nobles and people had to yeah. be talking about it. And it, it was so different. Yeah, and you could you could have a answer the you know the answer the the critics questions at Beliefnet, that was like the big religion site then. Um, it, it was funny because uh, 
by the time other like people knew what podcasting was, I'd already been doing it five or six years. So most of the first generation, right, of Christian podcasts are all people I basically explained to them how to do it. Yeah. And then I would start trying to talk people into doing it because guess what? You want to know what group really jumps early at thinking everyone should listen to them talk? Straight white guys. So anytime you could encourage someone that's not a straight white guy to put their voice on the internet, you're like, uh, you should do it. So, um, yeah, I, I just, well, I'm two episodes from, I think it was 1200 episodes and next month I'll pass 15 million downloads over the course of the podcast, which that's incredible. If you think of this, uh, this is what I tell myself, you know, so I'm like, I got to be in the top 10 most listened to living theologians and the other nine don't even know who I am. They all know each other. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're a liar because I know Walter Brueggemann knows who you are. Uh, I know, I mean, you, you talk about Arawas. I'm sure he knows who you are. Yeah, I did this event with uh, Willimon a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so he was speaking directly after a panel about my book where people were, you know, critiquing my new book. And uh, so, uh, which, you know, affects like he's doing this Q&A thing, but it's like based on the whole event. But everyone that's there just went to my session. So the first two questions were basically about what he thought about what I said. And, and he pauses, he goes, now... Uh, now, and I know this isn't going to offend Trip. Trip is a bit crazy. <laughs> Will Willimon said that about you. Yeah, and he's the most Christian process theologian I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, okay, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I love that. I love it because I think as I think about you as a, a space maker, I really do. Cause you kind of created this space for people to have conversations beyond just this, beyond just amplifying the voices that were coming out of a pulpit. Like that's what I see you having done. You amplified voices beyond the people who just really thought you should hear their sermons on a grander scale and maybe a little bit longer. Um, and then you also have made space for people to challenge and question their own theologies or even understand. Like, I love watching you on Twitter, you know, Oh, you should read this or whatever. And I've seen, you know, even my friend Dustin went through this huge faith transition and you were the first person I was like, you got to check him out. And you guys have now become friends. And I feel this sense of like this ripple effect of you started a thing, you leaned into it. Did you have any idea how much it would kind of change the landscape of American Christianity in some ways? Um, no, uh, no. I, I mean, I had no idea. Like I was trying to get free books and to get to talk to the authors I read was like the main core. And I would pick a different name at this point. Like, you know, not homebrewed Christianity. I, I, well, I just it. feel like I'm going to, I'm going to be so old. And at some point, like you either switch the name but I feel like after 15 years, you're kind of stuck, right? But when I'm 48 and you're like, there's the 48-year-old doing his 20-something year of homebrewed Christianity. And uh, and now I'm too old to drink each day of the weekend. 
So when I speak multiple days in a row, there's somebody that's like, I'm going to take you to my favorite brewery. And in my head, I'm like, ah, see, if I was 25, like Josephine, I would be like (laughs) back to back, back to back visits to breweries and I'm not paying game on. Do not be fooled because I cannot drink like that. (laughs) Well, trip at 25, (laughs) it was a spiritual gift. Now you just kind of, you just kind of got to line them up. You know, I try, I try to save my leaning into 25 for wild goose. (laughs) Yeah. So we do this conference together every year. uh, And it is, I mean, you have to like prepare. You need to bring Josephine. um, Josie. Yeah. It's like essential for your work. It's really good. I'm down. Uh, It's really good. It's neat. You get to see people doing spirituality in such different ways. And other things. It makes me really, it made me really uncomfortable the first time I went. It is kind of campy, but like you and I can get a Airbnb. Is there a lot of white people? Uh, Yes and no. All right. That's my only caveat for anything. There's a lot of granola. So here's the thing. There's like white people, but then there's also not white people. And then there's like a breed of white people that you and I are not like, like a, like, I just would love to see your face just like what like pacific northwest type of granola people not my jam Asheville, which is just a different kind of granola any kind of if you hike the pacific trail whatever it is i don't want to talk which i totally have done i I can't believe we're friends i love it but what it but josephine hikes if it's to somewhere right yes Yes. you know you've been listening i know i told i actually listen to your podcast like but if you act to somewhere so you just have to pick somewhere and then don't tell them though because they just want to wonder you know yeah i need the artsy end result i need the nazi camp i need i need something to go to that option she needs deodorant she like (laughs) yeah deodorant i need that i'll say this josie it it took me outside of any box i had built and Maybe that's, I think, space making and making space for people just to be themselves. And it was this, it was pressing hard into my, okay, I always say I want people to be able to be themselves. Am I, do I mean it? Because you're going to see like witches and fire breathing people. And then you're going to meet like shoeless people. And then you're going to meet trans folk. And then you're going to meet like people who are, I was the first time I met polyamorous people. I mean, just people that are all, all kinds of, and then you meet people who are Bible thumping Christians in some ways you meet, you know, and it's just this experience of, do I mean it when I say I'm down for diversity? Oh yeah. That sounds like my jam as somebody from who like really invested in the LA lifestyle. I'm real comfortable with all that. (laughs) There's a lot of different types of people down here. (laughs) Yeah. I think you do great. I think you would, but it, trips you know both of us have speak at it every year that we go and it is it's a neat experience to hear how people are reacting to your work from all over Hmm. yeah and occasionally it gets awkward when somebody without a lot of social skills came to hang out with you and you're Mm. like i don't mind talking to you once but don't keep showing up at my campsite while i'm making dinner Ooh. Yeah, because that's the thing. We're all together and nobody gets paid to do it in 
in theory. Uh, and so there is this like, well, some people's housing gets paid for, but there is this like normalizing of like everybody's at the same level, but it is, it's a weird thing. And you do something called uh, donuts and bourbon communion. Is that what it is? Yeah, well, it's Whiskey. just, I mean, it's just, it's communion with bourbon and donuts. It's I hate bourbon. Well, well, I like it. You, if you, if you, uh, if you drink it with a purpose and not just because. You might like it. Yeah. All right. Blood of Jesus. If you had You're transubstantiated right. Evan Williams. <laughs> <laughs> um, can't say that I have. I know. Uh, that needs to my be grandma my... heard you. Mm, she would. Don't drop it till you rock it, you know. The, uh, um, <laughs> what I was going to say a minute ago before I derailed us I, you know one of my favorite things about being on other people's podcasts is making it painful for them to have to decide how to edit it um, the uh, uh, about the I mean you mentioned asking what I was doing the podcast like the whole metaphor of home brewing um, I mean I guess it's obvious until but like a lot of labels you don't think about the name of it and then mm. you're like oh that has a purpose is you know, like most christianity that people experience i think of as like uh bud light christianity you know where it it tastes like piss um <laughs> it's made in large amounts i'm loving uh, this it only fills you with the spirit if you drink a large volume of it held upside down probably learned how to do it at a very patriarchal greek institution um in your in your late teens which is you know the best example of christendom right right too <laughs> too much patriarchy in greek institutions and the holy spirit only works in uh inappropriate ways um so the the whole craft beer revival and stuff when we first started it was early in that and the the popularity of homebrewing and like when you get into craft beer and homebrewing all of a sudden you realize like oh beer can have flavor like it's not just something this water you, yeah and there's like a huge diversity of ingredients and palates and all it's different styles and there's like a rich tradition and i feel like most people that leave their faith behind um for really good questions or experiences that don't make sense are ones that were like, look, I've had high quality, super fresh, cold bud light and it's not mm. good. Right. Yes. And then, and then you're like, set aside. So homebrewed Christianity was my goal. And like my goal in making space. Like if you go, if you're a nerd and go through the list, you're like, wow, you could never have a university that employed all these people because they're from different denominations, from different theological perspectives and all that. But my thing was uh, the church would be better off with a healthy ecosystem of diverse, beautiful theologies. And so as opposed to let's get, convince everyone to believe what Tripp believes, let's introduce the gifts of the academy that most churches don't know how to introduce you to in a podcast because no minister is going to have multiple people sign up to have a month of close reading of some of like Walter Brueggemann or Elizabeth Johnson or something like that. But every church has like the two or three super nerds. And my goal was I want all the churches with super nerds. I want those two to listen to the podcast. And then they're picking up this stuff and they then just bring it up in their small group or whatever. 
um and 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 the, the idea is like each of us in the church is full of people with wonderful minds they just didn't decide to take a lot of student loans and go to divinity school and so just give the gift of those as resources but each person has to brew their own faith like what is the life-giving tasty zesty expression of this wisdom tradition um, that you will celebrate drink enjoy and share with others and no home brewer when you drink someone else's version of a pale ale or ipa or a stout or whatever is like screw you like you didn't do blah, 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 blah. your natural response is like oh how did you do that i'm interested in this the difference is something worth celebrating and enjoying together and i think well why can we do that with so many other things but for some reason i remember when i got in a fight in middle school because some kid was only a four-point calvinist and i was like <laughs> you're wussing out on the fifth one <laughs> Right. And so the, the homebrew Christianity is like, my goal is I love reading super nerdy books. And so I want to make the theologian or biblical scholar or philosopher human. So most people are like, okay, they aren't fake. <laughs> and then try to get the ideas that I, that I think a normal, just your super nerd. That's not a professional in your congregation. is going to be like, that's awesome. I'm going to tell somebody. So that's the, that's the general logic of it. Um, and I think that if more people had someone in their congregation who could recommend the right book or tell them they're not crazy and that a smart person said this when they asked that question, have that doubt or processing it, then you don't have people leave behind the beautiful parts of their experience with God in Christ just because they think Bud Light tastes like piss because it does. Yeah. It does. Unless you just finished mowing and it's 90 degrees and humid, then, then you're it's like, heaven. well, this is the one rare moment. This is preferable. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, um, the whole time you were talking about all this, I was thinking of when I transitioned from my Pentecostal church growing up, Hispanic Pentecostal church to a um, Baptist church full of, you know, uh well i grew up in like downey california which is like pretending mm -hmm. to be a small town but it's not a small town and this church was like the oldest church there or something is oh. you know the first baptist church or whatever not that i'm outing you but i guess i don't give a shit um but it was weird because i was always very inquisitive and i always was very curious about everything and i'm not much of a nerd um the hair is a lie mostly because i don't have an obsessive personality so i don't have the commitment you know to i think she's calling us names through. but keep going <laughs> well you know no offense i'm cool but <laughs> i was <laughs> i was always the one that presented like a different perspective and then i was like oh but you're a woman what are you talking about you can't say any of this because you're a girl um so it's interesting that you started this podcast um, with that in mind, because I feel like a lot of times nerds are not very well received in their churches for offering different perspectives. What do you say to well, that? Yeah, I mean, you know, if there are whole, uh, you know, depending on the, the way the church functions, the nerds play different roles, right? Like, the Methodist church I, is like 100% down for the nerd. Yeah, and then they usually have that one Sunday school class, they put all of them in. Yeah. right so like you're like uh 
you once you meet that guest and then you you pigeonhole them, you're like, yeah, they need to go to the nerd class. Um, when we first moved back to North Carolina, we're visiting churches, and then we, uh, it was like the first time neither Alicia nor I are working at a church, so it's so weird visiting ones not for job interviews, right? Like just to go to one. And because my, my parents were church planners. So it's been my whole life. Like your family is connected to a church. Now you're just like going to one. And we found one that literally had the nerd Sunday school. Alicia's like, I don't work at this church. I'm not going to Sunday school because they're going to immediately get me to volunteer for the children's stuff. And I've done that for years to get paid. Like I, I just want to go to church and like let other people do tell stories to my kids, you know? And I'm like, well, I want to go to one with the super nerd Sunday school group. Right. And so like when the, when the, the usher was talking to me, like, what do you do? And I'm like, I have a theology podcast. He's like, yeah, for your job. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, well, you got to go to this Sunday school class. You go in and like, there are 12 people, nine of them with PhDs. And you're just like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. And so like a lot of churches will have like that place you stick us because that's been the hard part about mine. My church has like the church that I'm currently serving there every Sunday when I preach. And now it's even more so since we're broader in our reaching or whatever, but I would look out and be like, shit, there's six MDivs and like three PhDs sitting in the room right now. And I have to just be the one who's up here like, hello. And that's why I gave up this idea that I'm the keeper of the knowledge. And I think that's what you have to do is like our church is filled with nerds and people who like want to question. And I think that's what I attract is the people who want to question because I'm questioning. And I think that that's the experience you've had, right? When you're willing to open up the space for questions, the questioners show up, but it makes it really hard because you have to normalize questioning and you have to normalize that I'm not going to have all the right answers. And it's, you really give up a lot of control in it, but it's such, I think it's better than feeling like I'm going to bring you something and it's going to change your life. Instead, it's like, I'm going to journey with you and our lives are going to be changed. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, uh, the other group, like thinking of what Josephine said was, is, and I should have thought of this when you asked questions, like the earpiece nerds. So I've had multiple emails every year of someone that's like, trip the only church in my town that's not boring as hell is an Acts 29 church so we go to that but i listen to your podcast during the sermon (laughs) and that makes me so happy they're like there's not any churches that's not boring and that has three people under 50 in it like if you think i mean los angeles that's different but in a lot of places that's very true Right. And so it's like, do you want to actually enjoy the aesthetic of the worship service and have Neo Reform Bro preach? Or like you support the content, but not the form. Right. So you regularly get in that situation. And so there's a whole group of people that are like very into the podcast and they listen to it in church in their earbuds there's even some that are in the choir and i'm like this is hilarious uh, oh my and, gosh and so i imagine they're in a similar place like josephine was talking about where the nerds like they don't want to raise their head out right because they really just are there for the community the singing the art the fun stuff like fried chicken maybe if you're in the south but you're not there for you're, you're like I, you know 
some people have the gift of teaching and some think they do. And so I think I'm just going to listen to podcasts while they're talking, you know? Right. Um, it's the content. And I, that's why making spaces is, is so important because we have to start actually asking about our form and our content. Cause usually we ask one or one over the other. Oh, mm -hmm. and after we moved to Scotland, um, you know, I was like, Oh, this would be interesting. Like, I mean, Los Angeles, not like the most Christian place ever, but like the UK even less, except they have a state church that's all over up in people's business. Like we, we went to children's uh, last Christmas, children's Christmas pageant at Cora school. Our she was six then. And they had like all the kids acting out the Christmas story. And yet like three of them are going to go to church on Sunday, you know? And I'm like, this no wonder like you're just shoving this stuff down people's throats and then they had like a, a muslim girl playing mary and <laughs> it's kind of I, mean, I, I mean they they obviously believe in mary and and virgin conception um but uh but then like when muslim girls holding up jesus and says our savior and lord i'm like i don't think that's like <laughs> that's not how that works like you know i'm sitting there and i want to be like I work at the University of Edinburgh and my office mate is a Muslim historian. And uh, that's really inappropriate. Like, yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> that's not how they roll. Uh, just it, it's a, the, but the people that have remained are ones that are so in love with the high church Anglican and Scottish thing. They just dig that. But if you have, if you want any aesthetic outside of like high church Anglican, it's from some like Americans that are church planning or Australian. Here. Yeah. With crazy fundamentalist stuff to it. Mm -hmm. And so all the American graduate students are like, we can't decide what to do because like I have friends that are female PhD students, like writing queer theory and theology PhDs that go to some Hillsong church where they won't even let women talk. And they're like, yeah, it's the only one anyone our age goes to to sing. So I don't, all I have to say, I feel like you should start church playing network, Sarah. And uh, so there should be like one not shitty and not boring at the same time church in like all the cities with 100,000 people in it, right? Like if you go to two buck two, listen to the podcast. But if you're like in a decent city, there should be some church that's like, we have songs that are not boring sermons that don't turn your brain off you can pray enjoy the music and like jesus gave people the planet and like justice at the same time like and we're not even going to argue about most details just because we realize we just need critical mass of people that want not shitty christianity and not boring ass service like that sounds so great and but i I, from the podcast, I connect with thousands of people that live in places that don't have a church with an aesthetic they can connect to and an expression they'll tell their friends about. And I'm like, so, which I'm mean, glad they just tell their friends to listen to the podcast, which I mean, I'm not against, but I don't know how your experience has been, but not having like in-person worship services and things, it makes me less optimistic about doing this online, not more. Like, I don't think we just spent a lot of time doing this. So we figured it out. This is going to be good. I think, wow, we really need people to get together in person. <laughs> that's been my, uh, 
my feels. I literally started a podcast about how important proximity is um, just after reading tons of study. Actually, a couple of years ago, I was getting ready to speak at Wild Goose and I was talking about spaces and making spaces. And um, I started reading all these because I'm a super nerd. I started reading all these studies, psychological studies that we actually will never change our opinion about things um, in healthy and whole ways unless we're in proximity with people who think differently than us. And sometimes churches can actually be the place where that happens. Um, but you're right. People are just choosing the to piecemeal together what makes them comfortable. And I'm not saying you want to like be listening to the most conservative sermon if you're a raging liberal or the other way around. It just we, in order to move at all, we have to be in community together in some way, shape and form. And I think we've lost the ability to do that in really healthy, I mean, especially here in the US, there's, it's such a, like, this is our side and this is our side. And, and I come from a denomination that's really dealing with it. They've tried to like tell people who they're not as an identity. Like we are, we are not that church instead of figuring out who we are and, or explaining why we do what we do. I think liturgy can be beautiful if you know what it is, but if you're just like walking into it and it's not participatory, it's just like, why do we do this part? Why do we do this part? And it's always a call and a reminder to me, like, Hey, we got to like explain this stuff. So people aren't feeling like they're the Muslim playing Mary. <laughs> like what? I guess oh, it's yeah. just the thing that we're doing. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, I remember, uh, like, adding in explanations of what all the parts of the liturgy are in the bulletin because i don't remember what happened but all of a sudden we had half a page and i had requested it for years at the church i was working at in los angeles for i was there eight years it was like year six and i added it in and the first sunday it was added in i said oh we had this new section in and i just want to point it to you as we go through today after that people have been in that church forever they're like so that's why we do it in this order that's really thoughtful. And I'm like, what? You know, the, if you are, a, you know, if, if you like took a class on structuring liturgy, you forget that other people may not understand the order and why you do it that way. <laughs> and you're like, well, why are you here? Like in your head, all of a sudden you're like, well, you come, but you don't even understand what we're doing. And uh, I think they, 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 I got these like crazy emails. They're like, I've been at this church for 38 years and I had no idea why we did it this way and this way. And I'm like, I thought, why do they sing that same song every week? And it's a doxology, you know, and you're, you're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's been it's the weirdest thing about um, growing up is realizing that people just don't have any questions is, is coming from somebody who's questioned everything. There's just people who are just like, I've always been told this is what I believe. So this is what I believe. And I'm just like, but why? <laughs> why? And you what's funny is like, sim like simultaneously wishing you were drinking what they are drinking yeah. and judging yep. them, right? Like you, you're like, I wish I could turn off my critical what-so-what-so's and just be like, I just love that. I just felt the sweet presence of Jesus. <laughs> I want to be good. And then and it, you, you're like, I can't do that. And then once they realize that they can, I start to think, I'm judging you. Mm -hmm. Is there some way your life is deficient because you don't lose sleep about this? Because yeah, I always feel like that guy in the Matrix 
which you might be too young. It's a movie. Okay, The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who is like in the team and stuff, but then gets reintroduced into The Matrix. And he's like, I want to eat steak every day. I don't care if it's not real. I just want to believe it's real and be rich. You know, it, mm-hmm. he's just like, I wish I could undo asking any of these questions. And uh, and sometimes I always think that. Um, um, and we're like, I don't, I don't know if I'd understand myself without them, but when people don't ask them, you're like, how is that possible? Well, and I think we've been told they're dangerous. Questions are dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and QAnon, you know? Oh my God. (laughs) Come on. Dumb people must be real happy, you know? Oh, don't. (laughs) I'm just saying, they don't got to think about nothing. They don't lose sleep over anything. They're just like, yep gay people are bad and that's it i don't got a question until they have an experience that goes this is why you know trip knows this about me i think the quadrilateral is the sexiest theology of all time because it makes space for um experience Mm. right um so it's scripture tradition reason experience and none of them can be separate although your boy will Wilman says scripture is primary of the four anyway um but there is this like sense that we can't just discount my experience of I meet my gay cousin and they seem like a God-given gift to their partner. Mm -hmm. What do I do with that? And I think we can't force people into experiences. And that's why communities that are helping each other experience things, um, we've just created these silos. And I think the internet has both created it and also broken it down. There is opportunity, but I'm wondering like you um what it's going to look like when we are back in each other's lives well so i had this really i don't know if you call it a nightmare or not but um but it did make me think of this like moment like the first time like oh yeah we can all just like go back to church in person and the congregation we were going to here before is this like small scottish episcopal church but they use the iona liturgy um, so it's like all like folky Scottish Irish music and it's in the round and art uh, in a little art thing, but it's like all hippies, like old that generation. And then like three families with kids, but it's in the round. The kids have their own, like, own little area. So it was working out compared to the other options and uh, the people are great, but I'm sitting there going, like, most of them are introverts except for like seven or eight of them. Do you realize what's going to happen the first time? Like I'm at a church in person again, my extrovertness is going to explode. Like I'm just going to be like, game on. There are people here. Like, and I'm going to be like walking around, just like, who wants to start a small group? I'm ready. <laughs> right. You know, like, and then I was like, imagine introverts just had a year off of relationships. <laughs> and then they see me coming, you know? And I'm just like, I'm going to walk into that service and be like, dial it back, Trip. Dial it back. They may not have longed to hug people they only knew for two months in person because <laughs> they just moved here. You, on the other hand, you're like, I've seen you on I've seen you on the YouTube videos of worship the last nine months. You wanted to hug me, right? Like, I want to <laughs> hug you. Like, I said this like moment where the introverts are trying to figure out what to do in a social setting with all these people again, and the extroverts are like, let's just have a group hug and plan things to hang out. Like that's my, and I had this dream that like 
some of the old ladies told Alicia to tell me to dial it back. And, you know, like the service is ending and I'd like already made greeting time awkward for enough people. <laughs> Alicia's like, hey, uh, Trip, I have to service. Maybe just talk to your friends from work. Don't, I don't, I was like, no, no, no. Like, I think so-and-so is interested. Maybe we'll do something. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, they told me you were kind of creeping them out. oh my gosh i feel like our church attendance will probably skyrocket it'll be like an easter sunday the first sunday we come back um mostly because i think people are finally tired of you know going to churches that they just don't really like they don't agree with you know it's hard over it all right trip you have been fantastic to talk to you are one of my favorite humans and this is reminding me why we just should just zoom each other for no reason but i have to ask our closing question as we're getting towards that time what is one thing people can do practically like one tangible practical thing they could do to make space for people um or themselves so i also knew you were going to ask me this question um and so like in lockdown if you are in a house with a bunch of people i found like there's not a lot that's happened for you to tell each other about right like you don't have a real life so it's a lot of pressure to be like hey how's it going and what i'm gonna do like look at alicia and say how are you doing she's like how are you doing like I don't know. I mean, we still haven't seen other people for an extended period of time. <laughs> so long as we've gone without seeing our family and friends, I think it sucks. Yeah, me too. Right. You know, um, and with your kids, like putting pressure on them, like when they're just the only thing they really get to do is school, and then you can't go do anything else. Right. Um, it's having very uh, interactions that are uh, orchestrated, but scripted. Right. So like reading like reading books or um, the one is like with Elgin and Cora um, or Haven and Cora, our youngest, the newly seven and three-year-olds is uh, we do dance parties. And then, so I got this like light that follows the um, music and Mm. we'll discuss in the day. Like when I walk them to school, like what songs do we want to put in our dance party playlist? which almost always involves horrible selections, but um, you know, and then we like have a dance party and go crazy. And, but if we were talking, it'd be hard or um, like today they were like, Oh, play Christmas songs. So like I got the guitar and played Christmas songs, but I feel like if you come up with ways of making space so you can be together, but it's like, you haven't been separate enough to have lots of other things. Like you don't have something to talk about. So you create something that you're doing together that becomes the conversation piece. Yeah. And so, but you want to be together, but with some pressure-free ways of doing it, it's like playing your thing. Like Elgin and I've read a whole bunch of books at night when he goes to bed. Um, Like he'll pick something and then I'll pick something. And he's like set through me reading like things I thought were a good idea and then realized probably not. Like, (laughs) like, cardinal newman's like lectures that he gave to these high schoolers you thought that was a good idea i read it when i was his age and and like he's like you read this on purpose i was like yeah and he goes and did you understand it i'm like yeah but 
I'd read a lot of these other things he mentions in it, you know. Um, but that makes for entertainment because then it's like that he's giving me a hard time about it. And then I have to explain it to him. So he understands it. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I guess I, he's like, dad, sometimes I just think, I don't want to think about that that long. I just like, I just, I just want to try to love my neighbor and my enemies. And I don't worry about the, what did you say? Ontological priority of the future and i'm like we don't have to worry about it as long as if anyone asks you you're like you tell me you agree with me right so, oh my gosh <laughs> that's why i was telling like look you here's what you just say if it comes up just repeat it repeat things i said which okay here's a funny story of uh as uh, he you know he all these uh state church things they force them to take religion classes right because nothing helps you i think spread the revolutionary love of jesus like state coercion and indoctrination yeah, yeah. it, it makes it super popular amen um, so elgin has i mean if you think of all the people that normally would hang out at our house like because of live podcasts or spend the night like he he's friends with all these different theologians and stuff right so he'll hear us talk and, and things. So he picks up on stuff and then we'll talk. So he knows way more than he'll ever admit. And so he comes to me after school one day, he goes, dad, I need to, I need to ask you something. I, I don't know if I was rude to my teacher or really helped him out. And I was like, what? He's like, what's the religion class? The, he was introducing monotheism, like Judaism and Christianity and Islam. He was talking about God and, and then someone in the class gave this like criticism of God. And they were like, well, believing in God's like believing in a flying spaghetti monster, which is like this new atheist thing. And, and he, he, he went on, he's like explaining what happened. And, you know, and the teacher goes, well, um, well, Christians and Muslims and Jews don't believe in a flying spaghetti monster. They believe in a different God. Right. And who's not a spaghetti monster. <laughs> and so it's different. And the guy's like, yeah, but the whole point of the proof of the disproof of God is that it's a real thing. Uh, and if it's real, it should show something. And Elder like raised his hand and he's like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be mean, but I'm pretty sure predicating existence onto God means that you're not talking about monotheism because God does not exist. God is eternal. Like definitionally, God doesn't have a beginning or an ending. So God's not a thing, an object anywhere, like a spaghetti monster that flew would be. So if you think you're disproving God by saying that God's a thing that you don't have evidence for it existing, you misunderstand what the word God means definitionally for all three religions. He's like, that doesn't mean it has to be true. It's just that just means you didn't listen. <laughs> I, love your kid. I got an email from that teacher and was like what is he talking about about predication and in my head i'm like now they don't even have someone that knows what the hell they're talking about <laughs> i don't even know what the word means <laughs> predication yeah it, it anyway that was his uh that was, i'm sitting there going like he may not ruin the youth minister's day but he's at least gonna ruin 
state indoctrination in religion. Radical Just so you know, Trip was a youth pastor for so many years. So his goal in having children was to one day ruin a youth pastor's day. This has been his long-term goal, vision, hope all that yeah and i just want my kids to like me enough to invite me to lock-ins because I, I miss doing lock-ins i was good at them i ran lock-ins for like 100 kids at once never had to, anyone die or get injured which like, is our goal i had I an 85 percent rule if i bring 85 percent of your kids back i feel like i did well yeah it's like no one used drugs committed a felony got pregnant you know we're good we won well, on that mm. note, friends, this has been the Making Spaces Podcast. <laughs> Where can you find Trip Fuller? Where can we find you? Uh, just go to tripfuller.com or just Google me. Um, but uh, the movie I made, Road Deadman's on Amazon Prime now. So I know. You can, you can watch it and not spend any money. And if you don't like it, just let it finish playing and still give five stars. Yes. Yeah. Mind your business. <laughs> Speaking of giving five stars for Making Spaces podcast, you would do us the biggest favor in the world if you would subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating because that's super helpful for us or any sort of comment is also really helpful for us, particularly in the Apple podcast zone. You can watch us on YouTube um, and you can check us out on Instagram and very new, we just launched a Patreon. So Josie, you want to tell them about the Patreon? Mm -hmm. Yes, you can uh, find us on patreon.com slash making spaces podcast. And for $5, you get quarterly prints. For $20, you get uh, quarterly makers merch boxes full of stuff that are just both practical and cool. I'm really excited about those. Yeah, I don't know what's going to be in the first one, but we'll see. They go out in January, so sign up soon. Guys, the fun part about this uh very recording that we're doing right now is that it will come out the last week of december meaning that we will be saving a spot for you we'll save a seat for you see you next year where we will be saving a space for you bye, bye.